Good morning. Today I'll be reading for you Luke chapter 5 verses 1 to 11. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them there and were washing their nets. Stepping in on one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat on the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, O oh Lord, please leave me. I am such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, and were the others with him. His partners James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. The word of the Lord to us this morning. I have called you by name. You are mine. You are precious in my sight. And I love you. Good morning. Good morning, all you disciples here at home. Yes, I'm talking to you. Who is a disciple? A disciple is someone who follows someone else. The noun disciple comes from the Latin word disciplus, which means student, a learner, a follower. Webster's definition of a disciple is a pupil or follower of a teacher or a school. A true disciple is not just a student or a learner, but a follower who applies what they have learned from the one who calls them. So are you okay if I call you a disciple? It's okay. We tend to apply disciple to the 12 guys who followed Jesus in his various journeys. Yes, they were disciples, but they were also called apostles, which nobody ever called me, and I don't think you either as apostles, but they were. Throughout the New Testament, all of Jesus' followers are always identified as disciples, individuals way beyond the 12, groups and entire congregations are referred to as disciples. The word disciple appears 265 times in the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, twice in the Old, the rest of the times in the New Testament. Today, we seldom apply the word disciple to each other. We may call ourselves Christian. A term first identified in Acts 11, where Luke writes 
It was in Antioch where the disciples were first called Christians. But the word Christian is used only two times. Disciples, 265 times. Sadly, some people today, including one of my brothers, refuse to identify themselves as Christian. Why? Because of the serious misuse of the word in so many situations, including political misuse and persons who advocate violence call themselves Christian. So I asked my brother, how do I identify you? And he said, just call me a Jesus follower. I remember many years ago when I first checked into Facebook, and in Facebook you're supposed to identify who you are, and I said, I'm a Jesus follower. That's all. Anyway, the life of the disciple begins with a call, a call from the one they are following. And for our study this morning, that will be Jesus. Jesus called ordinary people out of their ordinary lives to be his disciple. Now, Jesus needed a small group of disciples to stay with him for the three years so he could prepare them, teach them for the ministry that he had for them, so that when he left the scene, they would be prepared to carry on the work he began. And they did. Today, of course, there are billions of people who are disciples. Now, before we look at the call of the disciples, let's look at how Jesus prepared himself for making the choice, making the call. What did he do? Well, he spent the night in prayer. And then to call this group of people with their different personalities, their different gifts, he needed guidance. So he got the call to prayer, intense prayer, before identifying the 12 that he wanted. By the way, you as a congregation are in the midst of a pastoral search. And I commend Jesus' method of calling, calling with intense prayer for the pastor you are calling. Now, there are several stories about Jesus calling disciples. Probably the best known is are his call to the fishers. There are at least four fishers in his disciple group. I like Joseph Ross's description. He describes these fishers as having calloused hands, rope burns, frayed nets, and the smell of fish. But this time, they are the ones caught by the stranger who smells of blood on wood. This past week, we watched a fine video series called The Chosen. If you ever have a chance to look at it, do. And I particularly liked the calling of the fishers in that chosen video. Well, this story opens, up, opens with Jesus beside Lake Gennesaret, another name for the Sea of Galilee. The crowd presses on Jesus because they want to hear the word of God. So Jesus borrows a boat that belongs to a fisher named Simon. 
Later, he gets the nickname Peter. And from that boat, Jesus teaches the crowd. When he's finished speaking, Jesus asks Simon to go into deep water and put down his nets for a catch. But Simon questions Jesus' request. Look, we have fished all night and caught nothing. So many who are called find excuses to ignore the call. They'd be totally ignored for their lives. I hope not. Think of when God called Moses to lead the people of Israel out of slavery. He had endless excuses. He shouldn't and couldn't do it. He said, get anybody, but don't get, expect me to do it. And then God called Isaiah. And what did Isaiah say? Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips. And there was Jeremiah, who, when the Lord called him, complained, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a boy. And of course, Jonah, when God called him, he got on a boat and ran, boated to Nineveh, but he didn't make it. And of course, he got swallowed by the fish and all that. And I know a guy by the name of Irvines, who when Ralph Liebold, the conference minister, walked into his office many years ago and asked, have you ever thought of pastoral ministry? And he laughed and he said, no, nah, it's never crossed my mind. And Ralph said, why not? It should. Here we are, 42 years later, still pastoring and preaching. Each of these people, and so many others, ended up doing what they were called to do in spite of their resistance. And Simon, too, finally declares, Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. And there followed this tremendous catch of fish. I can just picture it. The catch was so great that others had to help bring the nets ashore. Now, these brothers did not need help getting their boat ashore, but their catch certainly exceeded expectations, and if it weren't for the Ontario government regulations about how many fish they could catch, their boat may not have stayed afloat because, wow, the fish were really biting that day. Anyway, it was fun. Jesus' call repeatedly results in exceeded expectations. For example, the wedding in Cana, the feeding of the 5,000, the healing of the paralytic let down from the roof. So when God calls you, don't focus on your limitations, on your problems. Know that you will experience results beyond what you had hoped for, what you have dreamed of. I certainly have. Well, Simon's response to Jesus' uber-generosity is to focus on his own limitations and sinfulness. He said, Lord, go away from me, for I am a sinful man. Do you recognize that response? I am unworthy of God's goodness. I'm aware of my failures and sin. So I'll just stay away, and maybe the call won't come so clearly again. But of course, 
Jesus is entirely, has entirely different view from Simon's view and from my or your limited views. He calls out the classical biblical response, do not be afraid. And Simon, why don't you leave this fishing business for a while and come follow me and do some people catching? The call to discipleship is to catch people. In Matthew and Mark, the word, instead of catching people, Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men. How does that resonate with you? For some, the image of catching people or fishing for people is not a particularly positive image. We are afraid of coming across as too zealous, arrogant, disrespectful, or coercive. So much so that some avoid all public expressions of their faith. <clears throat> what it, would it look like to learn how to fish for people in ways that are hospitable, loving, generative, nourishing. As disciples, we do not want to fish for people if it becomes abusive. And it does when we focus on numbers or formulas or even on getting more people into our institutions. Jesus invites us, his disciples, to call people to himself. We bring people who are caught in nets of exploitation, of corruption, of poverty, war, exile, homelessness, violence, disease, climate change, racism, sexism. What might count as God's good news for people ensnared in these broken and cruel stages? Well, in John 13, Jesus says, By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Loving one another is the sign of true discipleship. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? So obvious. That's not quite that simple because catching people by loving them takes really a lifetime of practice, and we do it over and over and over again. Well, Jesus patiently taught his disciples the practice of catching or fishing for people by loving them. Let's look at an example first of how not to catch people. A Samaritan village did not welcome Jesus and his disciples. Those sons of thunder, the brothers James and John, asked Jesus, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? Of course, Jesus rebuked them. Hadn't he already taught them to turn the other cheek, to love their enemies? I find it interesting that in the next chapter in Luke's Gospel, Jesus tells that amazing story of the Good Samaritan. They were going to destroy the Samaritans, and then Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. What an excellent example of a disciple who caught the victim he found, caught him in love. I'd 
Last week, Marion and I were walking in uptown Waterloo. And we heard a crowd of several hundred people gathered calling for no vaccination, no masks. And they were just violently opposing the politicians who lead us. I wanted to call down fire from heaven and destroy the gross signs and the gross language they had. But fortunately, my faithful partner, who is a generous love expert, encouraged me, just keep on walking and pray for them instead. We did. Well, another example. Simon Peter had spent three years with Jesus and had heard and observed his love for all people. But Simon was an impulsive disciple. During Jesus' arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, suddenly one of those with Jesus put his hand on his sword, drew it, and struck the slave of the high priest, cutting off his ear. And Jesus said, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will punish, perish by the sword. Well, can impulsive disciples learn how to love? Yes, they can. About a year or two later, Peter was in Joppa, where he had a vision in which he saw creatures he considered impure. And a voice called out, Get up and eat. Peter said, Surely not. I have never eaten anything unclean. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean, the voice said. Well, Peter considered, considered positively, to the message. And you know where he ended up? He ended up in a Roman centurion's home where he caught Cornelius and his family in love. I expect that as he was talking to Cornelius and his family, he remembered the words, from now on you will be catching people. And he did. Just one more example of Disciples. In this case, I, I recognize Jesus' humor in, with these two disciples who have the sense of anxiety that I can so identify with. In John 6, we read that he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him. And he said to Philip, Hey, Phil, where are we to buy bread for all these people? <laughs> and Philip panicked. And he answered him, what? Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get even a little. And one of the other guys speaks up, Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother, and said, there's a boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many? Five thousand. And Jesus said, make the people sit down. And you know what happened after that? Exceeding expectations. Thank you, Lord, for your sense of humor with us, with us, your disciples. And please deliver this disciple from being all involved with scarcity, anxiety. Impulsive Peter, doubting Thomas, you are you, and you are being called, and you are being loved right now.
So what do you say about a stranger who tells you to leave your family and your home and your career and go with him? What do you say about someone who asks you to do that and you do it? Well, he's the kind of person you listen to. You listen to him from deep inside of you. And the result will always exceed expectations. So to all of you disciples, hear the final words of Jesus. Go therefore, my words, be disciples, and Jesus' words, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And I am with you always, to the end of the age. Amen.